Hey everyone, I'm John Steele, and this is After Four, a podcast for InterVarsity alumni. Life after college is hard, and even a great experience with your InterVarsity chapter doesn't shield you from the challenges of transition. As we hear stories from real alumni learning how to make it in their post-InterVarsity reality, my hope is that this podcast will offer some encouragement, a few laughs, and even some hope for the future. This is After Four, and these are your stories. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of After Four, the podcast for InterVarsity alumni. I'm John Steele, and it's great to be together for a new episode. Hey, special shout out to all of our 2021 and 22 grads who are listening out there. Whether you graduated in December or are about to go toe-to-toe with your last set of finals in the next month or so, just wanted you to know that we're proud of you and all the work you've put in and that we're here for you as you continue on this next phase of life. I hope you keep tuning in and that the After Four podcast can be an encouragement to you. So, obviously I do a lot of talking on this show. You get to hear from me every week. But you know who we don't hear from? You, our listeners, the lifeblood of this podcast. Well, that's all about to change. We recently set up a voicemail of sorts for the podcast. It runs through an online service called SpeakPipe, and it's a chance for you to share with us. We actually just set up the service this week and we already have a message from an alumnus. So let's sit back and see how this works and give it a listen. Hello? Hello? Uh, is, this, uh, is this recording? <clears throat> hello? Hello? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I can see it right there. Uh, <clears throat> uh, hi, John. Uh, this is John, a longtime host, first time caller. I just wanted to send a message your way and say that I really love the podcast. I'm super excited to be uh, uh, leaving this message for you. I, I love the podcast. I create it every single week. Your guests are the best. They're always so insightful and real, and I can totally identify with their stories about life after college. InterVarsity alumni are fantastic. Keep keep them coming, please. Um, if if you have a minute, I do have a few notes for you, though. Uh, you know, just some simple improvements, tweaks, your style and questions and personality. Nothing major. Uh, just real quick here, okay? I'll make it quick. Uh, okay, first. Okay. Well, I think you get the idea. Thanks, John, for calling in. I will be sure to sit down with the rest of your message and take your feedback under advisement. Anyway, it's easy to call in. Just follow the link in the show notes or on our link tree, click start recording, and leave that message about a favorite moment from the podcast or about one of your own life after college experiences. You might even get to hear yourself on a future episode of the podcast. I'm really excited to hear from you. Well, I suppose it's about time to get crack-a-lacking with our new episode. This week, we continue my conversation with Jason Gabry about Holy Week. If you haven't already, make sure you listen to part one from last week. We talk about Palm Sunday and Maundy Thursday, which at the time of this recording has yet to happen. So give that a listen and then jump back over here, because this week we're going to talk about what makes Good Friday good, what we're supposed to do with Saturday, and what it means for Easter to be an entire season and not just a singular day. All right, here we go. It's the second half of our Holy Week conversation with Jason Gabry. Enjoy. Let's talk a little bit about Good Friday. And Jason, feel free to take the floor here and explain Good Friday. But somewhere in there, can you explain why why good? I mean, <laughs> it seems like kind of a bad day 
When my kids were young, I once gave a sermon on Good Friday and I began it in a way that my daughters found memorable. I asked that question. I said, why is Good Friday good? It sounds like it should be called Bad Friday or Sad Friday or God is really, really mad Friday. (laughs) And my younger daughter, she never let me forget it. So every year on Good Friday, she's like, it should be Bad Friday or Sad Friday. (laughs) She kind of makes fun of me for that, which is great. But Good Friday is Good Friday. And here's why. First is Jesus is an example of goodness in the face of extreme abuse and suffering. I mean, think of what Jesus endures. He endures betrayal. He endures rejection, no sleep, no food, mocking, flogging, torture, and death. And I like to think about it. If Jesus was a classic Western Hollywood hero, if Jesus were Optimus Prime or Superman or Black Panther or Captain America or whatever, what would he do? He would patiently endure. He'd absorb all the hate and all the violence and all the rejection. But Then he'd hit a breaking point. He'd get to that point where he could stand all he could stand. And when he could stand it no more, he would flex his powerful muscles. He would kind of shake off the pain and the beatings. And he would command the winds and the waves and the warriors of heaven to wipe these evildoers off the face of the earth. That's the superhero movie, right? That's what happens. The hero endures horrific abuse and then summons his strength and defeats evil in this really powerful and violent way. And in the Gospels, we've seen Jesus command the winds and the waves. Jesus claims he can command the angels of heaven. Jesus has the power to wipe these evildoers off the face of the earth. And there is a moment on the cross where Jesus cries out, but what he cries out is, Father, forgive them. So even in this moment of incredible torture and death, Jesus is showing us extreme goodness. Walter Wink's a theologian, and he says that too many of us have adopted something he calls the myth of redemptive violence. And the myth of redemptive violence is that there are basically good people in the world and bad people in the world and bad people in the world do violence. And unfortunately, in order to stop the bad people in the world from doing their violence, good people have to rise up and they have to defend the world from chaos and anarchy and destruction. And sometimes you have to do that by killing and violently opposing the powers of destruction and evil, the people who are destructive and evil. The gospel of Jesus is not a myth of redemptive violence. It is a story, a picture that the powers and principalities and empires and religious corruption and crowds can do their absolute worst and inflict pain and violence and suffering upon God's king. And God will cry out for their forgiveness, not damn them to destruction. And that's good. That is a God you can trust, and that is genuine goodness. So Good Friday is good because we see good in Jesus. And part of the inner logic to my second point is on Good Friday, the people in the story, the people even who put Jesus to death, recognize his goodness. Whether it's the thief on the cross, whether it's the centurion who says this was God's son, whether it's Pilate who says this man has done nothing wrong, whether it's the women who are weeping for him and Jesus says to them, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves. All of these recognize that Jesus was a good man. It's almost a refrain in the story that Jesus is good. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is good. Now, think about that for a minute. One time, a person came to Jesus during his teaching ministry and said, good teacher, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? 
No one is good except God alone. And then he goes on to describe, if you want to know what goodness really is, sell everything you have, give it all away and come and follow in my way. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. But if you want to get closer to good, give everything you have for the sake of others and follow in my way. And here in the midst of his cross, Jesus accepts the testimony that he's good. Jesus's cross points to the embodiment of good, the true human being, the glory of God in human form. This is what goodness looks like. It looks like Jesus who gives everything he has to give for the sake of others. And then finally, Good Friday is Good Friday because the results of Good Friday are actually good, are good for us. They're good for the world. So at the moment of Jesus's death, the veil in the temple is torn in two. It's torn from top to bottom. And the whole reason the veil is there in the temple is because God is so unique, powerful, and worthy that you can't just walk into God's presence. If you just walk into the presence of a being so unique, so powerful, and so worthy, it's like getting too close to the sun. It will overwhelm you to the point of your own destruction. And that's why the curtain was there in the temple, was to say, God is so unique, he's so powerful, so worthy, that to get close to God, we recognize that just waltzing into God's presence will destroy us. And yet, in the crucifixion of Jesus, the unique and powerful and worthy presence of God can no longer be contained behind the curtains. God has stretched his own flesh between heaven and earth to reconcile earth and heaven. And there's a tearing of that separation between heaven and earth, between God and humanity, because Jesus has stretched his own flesh to the breaking point, to the tearing point between heaven and earth. Now, nothing is stopping heaven from getting out into the world and getting close to the people that God loves. And that's really, really good news, because it's always been God's desire. It's always been God's plan to live, to dwell, to abide with his people. And there's all kinds of reasons. God's unique. He's holy. He's so powerful. He's worthy that there's a separation there. But now, because of the good, generous, self-giving love of Jesus, stretching his own body in this way, now heaven moves towards earth in this really powerful way. And there's nothing that can stop God's unique, powerful worthiness getting out into the world. And so we recognize that's good. That sounds very good. So, okay, everybody, if you're ever wondering why it's called Good Friday... (laughs) (laughs) There's three really good reasons. (laughs) Wow, that is incredible. I had typically boiled it down to, well, it's Good Friday because Jesus dies for our sins. That's good. The outcome is good. And that's true. But my word, now it seems like an understatement. Should be at least Great Friday. Okay, so then we go from, again, these big overt experiences that we've talked about. And then we go into Saturday, which in at least my experience with the church calendar, I'm usually at home on Saturday. What do we do between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday? What is Saturday for? Great question. Short answer is we wait. Most of us are bad at waiting. (laughs) I mean, when I was a kid, we'd be in the car, we'd be going somewhere, there'd be a train that would cross our path and we'd get Fancy, and my mom would say, oh, it looks like we need waiting practice. And whenever we were impatient, she'd say, oh, it looks like we need waiting practice. It was super annoying. But, you know, I think my mom was right. In a world of instant, ubiquitous, and trivial information and activity, it's actually a deeply spiritual thing to wait. In a world of so much turmoil and so much violence and all the geopolitical and other real significant issues, you can't rush ahead. 
we're waiting for change and we got to work toward change, but there isn't a pill that makes the war in Ukraine all better tomorrow. There isn't an instant solution. Look at your own life. Whether you wrestle with overeating or anger management issues, or you're not as generous as you want to be, or whatever it is, there isn't a quick fix. And so Saturday is important because we wait and we recognize in that waiting that Jesus is doing a work that we cannot see and yet is hugely spiritually significant. And if we slow down and we are willing to wait, and we're willing to even to practice waiting, perhaps we can even be more attuned, more attentive, more aware of what Jesus is doing, even in the silence, even in the hidden places. It doesn't take me off the hook of trying to do what I can to respond to God's love, grace, and truth in my own discipleship, in my own work for justice or in generosity. But it does mean I do that work in response to the hidden work that Jesus is doing. And I trust that. So that's good for us. In some traditions, we keep the Easter vigil. It's one of my favorite services. And what you do is you systematically and thematically read through the whole story of the Bible. Obviously, you don't read the whole Bible because that would take days, but you read the story of creation. You read the story of the fall, the story of the patriarchs, the exodus, David and Samuel and the exile. And what happens is you usually start the Easter vigil in the sanctuaries in darkness. And every time there's a reading, you light another candle and you light another candle and you light another candle. The refrain for the service is, the light was in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so you're reflecting on the whole story of the biblical narrative through the, the passion of Jesus. And then you get to the early, early morning account of the resurrection. And when the reader quotes the angel as saying, he's not here, he is risen, you ring all the bells, <laughs> you sing or you shout, hallelujah. But the point is not to rush to that point. <laughs> so by the time you get there, there's been this building anticipation. Then, hallelujah, he's not here. He's risen. In our church tradition, you don't say hallelujah during Lent. So this word has come back within the Easter vigil, the first time you said it in 40 days. And then, of course, during the worship service for Easter, you say it a whole lot. Well, first of all, thanks for breaking your Alleluia fast for our <laughs> for our podcast here. I, I appreciate yeah, that. Don't, don't tell my pastor I said it. <laughs> I won't. Grace. <laughs> Man, this this is such an interesting day. It feels almost like you're dipping back into Lent for just a moment. This place of like, oh no, what if all of the promises that Jesus made weren't true? But then to be reminded, no, they are true. I'm going to hold fast and have one final internal battle. And then for that to lead us into the celebration of Easter. What a day for contemplation. We've been practicing for this moment right here. What are we going to do on the cusp of Jesus coming through? What an interesting part of this whole celebration celebration, this time of waiting and reflecting and even wondering what's going to happen next. So then that brings us to the day we've found our crescendo. We're here to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, so many things for us to talk about here. There was a phrase that you used earlier that's very interesting to me that I'd love to hear a little bit more about. You talked about going from these Holy Week experiences into the season of Easter. And so let's talk a little bit about Easter Sunday, but then I'd be interested to hear more about the season of Easter. Are there particular new spiritual disciplines that we get to step into? Where does Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday take us? The celebration of the resurrection of Jesus is the most important day in the Christian year. 
you know, Christmas is nice and it's important because it's the incarnation. But the most important day is Easter, because if Jesus is not resurrected from the dead, as Paul says, our hope is in vain. And so we sing and we celebrate and we mark the day of the celebration of Jesus's resurrection. And I'll soapbox for a minute here. In modern church time, Easter is the time when I think the church gets closest to the New Testament witness in its proclamation and its confession of Jesus. And here's what I mean. In our outreach efforts as a church, we tell a lot of the story about Jesus. We use lots of different words. I'm not going to criticize any of them, but we don't tend to lead with Jesus is risen from the dead. But if we read the witness in the New Testament, the early church has this grab you by the shoulders and almost shake you kind of urgency around Jesus, that prophet from Nazareth, who was attested by God as the Holy One, as the Messiah. You killed him. He's risen from the dead. <laughs> like there's this intensity with which the church wants to tell you, the New Testament wants to say, Jesus is risen from the dead. And I get why the church doesn't lead with that. But the scriptures do. The New Testament does. And in course, on Easter Sunday, we can lead with that. Alleluia, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Alleluia. That's the beginning of the Easter worship service in my tradition. And we talk about Jesus is risen from the dead. But I do think that the proclamation of Jesus risen from the dead, even in our modern context, is really powerful. Two quick stories. Leslie Newbigin, famous missiologist of the 20th and early 21st century, was once asked whether he was an optimist or a pessimist. And his response was, I am neither. Jesus is risen from the dead. His response was, wrong question. Are you optimistic or pessimistic? No, Jesus is risen from the dead. That's my testimony. I helped plant a campus ministry at an elite engineering school in New York City. There was a student who was involved in that, who was in a class they were talking about influential people of history, people who are now dead. They talked about Caesar, and they talked about Alexander the Great, and they talked about Buddha. The professor mentioned Jesus in that list, and one of the students in this group raised his hand. He's a brilliant student. He raised his hand. He said, excuse me, professor, Jesus isn't dead. Oh, man. It was powerful. That's so awesome. <laughs> right? The proclamation of Jesus' resurrection really matters. <laughs> and so I get really stoked about that. And I get really excited about celebrating that on Easter Sunday. And I think it's good for us. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Jesus is risen from the dead. And to lead our witness with that, I think is powerful. Now, Easter is a season that is 50 days long. I love that Easter is 10 days longer than Lent. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Easter season is the number of days between the time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and then the celebration of Pentecost, which is when the Holy Spirit descends on the church. And so it is the season of celebrating and remembering the resurrection during that 50-day period. As you talk about this, it makes me think of the times that I've heard people say, I wish we could just live like it was Christmas every day. And the thought of like, well, if we changed our mindset to, couldn't we just live like it's Easter every day? That's actually something that we could live into. The fact that Jesus is risen and he will always have been risen. And the fact that there is a season of Easter and not just a day of Easter, it feels like it reinforces that thought of this is something for us to remember and to celebrate and to proclaim over and over and over and over and over again. And it is a good thing for us to remember. 
I love that. And, you know, liturgically, Christmas is 12 days long. Easter is 50 days yeah. long. <laughs> and when people say, I wish we could live like it's Christmas, what they mean is that there's a, something in the spirit of generosity and giving and connecting that's really valuable. And I want to bless that. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Wouldn't that be great if we were generous and giving and connected all year long? But which is better to live every day like we want to be generous and connected or to live every day in defiance of death? Which is what our culture is in pursuit of. It's what we desire to be able to live longer, live your best life. Our culture wants that. Okay. Hey, Jesus has given you that. <laughs> Jesus is risen from the dead. <laughs> so you don't have to be afraid of your body breaking down. And you don't need to be afraid of death or difficult things because death is not the end. Jesus is risen. We even go to our death in the assured hope of the resurrection, right? That's the Christian witness. So then let's talk a little bit about some of the disciplines associated with Easter. What are some of the new things that we get to step into coming out of Lent, out of Holy Week into Easter? What's our next step of devotion to Jesus through spiritual disciplines? Well, it's feasting, it's celebration, and it's joyful witness. The Christian year has this rhythm. It expands outward into the world. We're thinking about proclaiming and witnessing to the truth. And then it contracts. Lent is a season of contracting, of reflecting, of pondering, of fasting, and sort of turning in and doing the hidden spiritual work, praying, paying attention to Jesus, giving alms. But now it's Easter. Now we go out into the world rejoicing <laughs> in the power of the Spirit with the message that Jesus is risen. And so all of that energy, all of that urgency that the New Testament talks about, that's our witness. And so we are invited into that and to rejoice in the resurrection. Some years ago, one of my pastors decided she would do an experiment called Feasting 50. because She was so tired of fasting for 40 days. She wanted to feast for 50 days. This is like in the early days of blogging. She created a blog and for 50 days, she invited people in the congregation to post pictures of ways that they were feasting in celebration of Jesus's resurrection. It was this wonderful online expression. And I'd love to see us do more of that sort of thing where for 50 days, we're intentional about I'm not advocating gluttony or anything, but for 50 days, we're intentional about celebrating. We're intentional about feasting on the goodness of God, feasting on the resurrection and recognizing that, proclaiming that. Again, in a tradition that oftentimes feels like a place of don't, 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 don't restrict yourself, restrict yourself, restrict yourself. And there are places where that's legitimate. And we do that on purpose, not just to self-flagellate, but because it's right and it's good. But man, to live into celebration, to be excited, to proclaim, to say yes. What an awesome experience that that's built right into our calendar and something that we get to experience together and to, to show the world together. That's really great. Jason, as we move towards the end of our conversation here, this feels like a conversation that's been relevant for you know anybody who's listening. There's stuff that we can learn here, but this podcast is for alumni. And so I wonder, as you've spent time sort of reflecting in preparation for our conversations, even through your own Lenten practices and before long here, stepping into Holy Week, do you have a final word that you would give to alumni who are listening, a final encouragement of stepping into this season and soaking it up for all that it's worth? I don't want to put words into your mouth, but do you have a final word that you want to give to alumni here? Yeah, I do. One is we know that alumni particularly young alumni, do struggle to find connections and churches and community after they graduate. And I wonder if this year, leaning into Holy Week would be a concrete way, a specific way that, that you could begin to build some relationships and connections with other Christians. Let the tradition host you. 
let the church be the host this season, this Holy Week, and let it host you and hold you through the Holy Week. So that's one. Two, transition is tough, and the number of us are in transition. Wonderful thing is we have a worship tradition, we have a Christian tradition, particularly in Holy Week, where the thing that we're entering into with Jesus, the story we're entering into with Jesus, has real resonances with, as we've been talking about, our experience in the world. And so bring all of your dissonances, bring the transitions, bring the collision of hope and fear, bring the collision of displacement and not sure about the future. And can I really trust? Bring all that into your life in Holy Week and allow God to meet you in that and to bless you in that. The third thing I would want to say to our alumni is, I think of InterVarsity as a way of following Jesus. I may have said this in the last podcast, but I really do. I don't think of InterVarsity primarily as the small community of friends that you developed in college. That's great. And God bless that. And I hope they stay connected to them forever. But more importantly, the broader community of InterVarsity, the broader truth of InterVarsity, it's a way of following Jesus, centered around the Lordship of Jesus. He really is Lord. He really is risen. And we really can follow him around scripture, the story of scripture, even the story of Jesus we go into through Holy Week as we enter into that story and we let that story shape us and reshape us. And that helps us in our life with God. It helps us live life, not just life. It helps us live life. Then the connection to relationships across difference, entering into that, being present to that and allowing yourself to be shaped by that. And then your engagement with the world. So stay on the path. I want to make a Mandalorian joke and say, you know, this is the way. The way you learn to follow Jesus in university, this is the way. It might look different. The older you get, different life stages, it'll look different, but it is still the way. And there's life in this way. And we just want to encourage you to stay in the way, so to speak. As an alumnus of InterVarsity myself, I receive that blessing and that encouragement. Thank you, Jason. I hope that those listening will as well. Those are helpful words for us as we consider stepping into, or depending on when you're listening, being in the midst of, or even post Holy Week here. Those are helpful things for us to consider. Jason, thanks so much, not just for coming on, but for coming back. And uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate I appreciate you investing your time, your wisdom, your life experience to help us all, I hope, have a more informed Holy Week to be able to better emotionally intellectually engage with it and to step in better prepared for celebrating and experiencing Holy Week with our church community locally and globally. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be able to do this with you. I don't know about you, but I'm definitely walking away from this episode with the idea of our Christian witness to the world leading with the resurrection of Christ. How often do I actually talk about that in any context, be it at church or with my friends who don't know Jesus? So often I lead with Jesus' love, his grace, his goodness, all of which are legitimate, wonderful, and attractive traits, don't get me wrong. But doesn't Paul talk about striving only to know Jesus and him crucified? That the message of the cross is the power of God to those who are being saved, and as Jason already mentioned, that if the resurrection isn't real, we have no hope? Seems like I might be wise to consider making the resurrection an anchor point for the way I think about and talk about Jesus. I hope as you've been listening to these last couple episodes, you've felt a growing understanding of and excitement for Holy Week and the coming Easter season. My prayer for all of you alumni out there is that these conversations are useful to you as you continue your journey with Jesus. Jason, thanks so much for your willingness to join us again. I have questions about Advent. See you in November. 
All right, that's it for this week. Come on back next time for my conversation with Choma, a recent graduate of the St. Louis University School of Law. You'll get to hear about how her experience as a student at an urban program transformed her understanding of Jesus and set her on a course for partnering with him through a life of justice as a campus staff, as a volunteer link staff with her husband in Japan, and now as a judicial law clerk in St. Louis. It was a thrill to talk with her, and I'm looking forward to sharing the conversation with you. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast, turn on those notifications, and follow us on socials at After4Pod, because just like Steven Tyler, you don't want to miss a thing. And hey, don't forget to click that link in the show notes or on our link tree and leave us a message. We really want to hear from you. All right, have a great week, and I'll catch you next time. Until then, see you in the After, alumni.